0: There is a bigger question of how you measure product marketers in the company. What are the KPIs? And every time I'm being asked that, I have a different answer.
1: (laughs) Hello and welcome to Confessions of a B2B Marketer. My name is Tom Hunt, your host. And today we have a product marketing masterclass with Yal Weber, Zvik of Cato Network. So PR used to be a software developer, then moved to product management and then moved over to product marketing, e.g. the light side, as you'll hear us discussing shortly before that. Massive shout out to Fame. They are the people that run my social platforms, our email newsletter, and also the podcast that you're listening to. If you want help with any of those things to help your B2B business, generate fame, and then go to the SI SO request proposal, say that Tom sent you, and I'll make sure we look after you very well. So let's jump into this discussion with Er now. Eyal, welcome to the show. Great to be here. So from my research, it seems like you've come from the dark side to the light side, but correct me if I'm wrong. So I understand you have software engineering skills, C.G. You can code. I understand that you also have product management skills. Is that correct?
0: Yes. So I wouldn't say that I can code. I could code. I'm not <laughs> sure if that skill is still with me anymore. But yeah, I started as a geek officially. Mm-hmm. Then I made it try to make a career of it in software engineering. Very early on, got tired with my own bugs and decided I don't want to code so much. And I moved to project management. From there to product management. And I always considered I was on the light side until I moved to product marketing. And then I realized what <laughs> is the really light side of things. <laughs> yes.
1: And this is where I'm in the past five years. And that's exactly what we're going to discuss today because I've probably been in marketing, online marketing for maybe 10 or 12 years now. And I don't know if I really have a good definition of what product marketing is. So I'm glad that I finally found you, Er, because that's what we're going to explore today, both from or your theory, but then also I'd love to dig into how you're doing this at Cato Networks. Obviously. So, first question is, how would you define product marketing?
0: You are 100% correct. It's a hard profession to define. It also varies by company, by industry, by business to business, or business to consumer, or business to business to consumer. Each one requires different skills. I think what I see as the commonalities is someone who can take a set of technologies or capabilities and convert them to a story that explains to the customer why it is great, how it would solve their problems and why they should buy that specific product when there are multiple offering from different vendors or providers that are saying that they're doing the same thing. Now this is a very narrow definition but it has like additional aspects in how you make that storytelling come to life it can be presentation it can be written content can be webinars can be podcasts like the one we are having it's all just different manifestation of the same skill of telling
1: a story around the technology but a good story a valuable story
0: not just any story
1: so to really simplify things it seems like step one is to tell a good story and then step two is to convert that story into content that will help influence people?
0: I would maybe suggest a different simplification. I would say step one would be to understand the technology or the product. Step two is to tell a story in a way that highlights the value
1: that the technology is providing. And then there's also the final step there, right? Which is, I assume, like creating that content, like creating the web pages yes. or creating like Sales pitch. True.
0: Yeah, and then taking that story and replicating it into different form factors.
1: Correct. Okay. So I'd love to illustrate step one and two with work that you've done at Cato Network, if possible. Don't want to give away any secrets.
0: No, of course. If it's okay, I'll just say in a few words what Cato Networks does. So then it would put my the work in context. We're in the business of convergence and cloudification of network and security infrastructure for enterprises. Convergence is what Apple did with the first smartphone to cameras, PDAs, mobile devices, media players, GPS. They made everything one product. It used to be a set of products in our backpack. Now it's one product that it's not just different capabilities duct tape, but it's actually behaving as one. That's conversion. Modification is taking something that used to be physical and lifting it up to the cloud, which is what Netflix did to Blockbuster. We used to rent DVDs. Now we stream them. We do the same to, and at once, to the world of network and network security. So we replace legacy technologies, physical technologies of network and network security with a cloud service that we build. The story is that by doing so, we make the IT teams in the enterprise much more efficient, effective, agile, dynamic, fit for everything the business needs in order to succeed in selling, growing, and continuing to build the business. So this is what Cato does in a nutshell. So if I take it to step one, understanding the technological building blocks in what we call a convergence play of taking multiple technologies and combining them into one, myself and my, the PMMs in my team need to understand the different technological domains. So for example, it can be firewalling, intrusion prevention, sd one I'm throwing acronyms now. Secure Web Gateways, Cloud Access Security, Data Loss Prevention, different set of technologies. Each one can be a full product line with giants like Palo Alto Networks and Cisco and HPE. So we need to understand the capabilities and we need to understand how the technology that we've built makes them all work together. So this is step one. But we need to understand it at the level Not the one that I'm speaking at right now, but at the level that we can have a conversation with a network engineer or a security engineer on the customer side. So we need to understand it deeply. And many of my team members, including myself, come from a technical background. And that gives us the skills and the knowledge to understand the different capabilities. So that's step one. Step two is taking that and making it into a story that speaks about the value proposition. So, how, first of all, we need to this is part of storytelling in a sales pitch. Maybe I'm just I'm jumping ahead of what we're hoping to speak about. When we tell a customer about a product that we are offering them, the blueprint, as I was taught and I'm using, is that first we need to agree on the problem, regardless of our specific offering. We need to agree what the problem is, where, where is the pain that we're looking to solve and to relieve. We need to have some agreement on the blueprint solution, not necessarily our technology, but there is problem A and we can solve it with solution B. And then we can show how we do solution B and explain how that would be better than any other vendor who's saying they're also doing solution B. And this is how we build the sales pitch. We agree on the problem, which is a lot of complexities and difficulties and cost and rigidity in today, enterprise network and security infrastructure. We agree, and in our case, we also bring like evidence from leading analyst firms like Gartner into the conversation, saying that there is an industry agreement that the solution is to converge everything into a cloud service. Today, the industry calls this SASE. That's the term. And then we're showing how the keto SASE looks like, how our solution implements that blueprint idea of solving the problem, and how we are different compared to others and why the customers should go with us. And then we take this story, which is the sales pitch, and we replicate it into different assets. It can be the presentation that the salespeople use, it will be white paper, it will be on the website, it will be webinars. Sometimes we look at the problem and the solution as a whole, sometimes we look at sub-components or sub-use cases in it that we want to focus on. For example, for demand generation, I want now to build a funnel on enterprises that have a specific pain, so we'll write content that speaks to that specific use case. So this is like the three steps that we're speaking about, kind of how they're
1: implemented at Kato. It's uh, very clear, very clear, and thanks for sharing like how you, or the actual example. My question is, if I went to work in product marketing, would I also be able to come up with great analogies, like you did in the initial pitch or explanation of Kato, which was featuring Apple and featuring Netflix? Is that like part of the working out how to explain what your product does?
0: It's a personal style, which I'm a big fan of. I think analogies make the entire conversation much more memorable. And sometimes I would make, even not analogies, but I would make stories that resonate that I believe would stay with the end customer or the partner. I'll give you one example. Kados technology is very disruptive. The technologies that we are now taking up to the cloud and providing as a cloud service for the last 30 years used to be sold as physical appliances that are installed on-premise at the customer. It's a radical change. and It requires the customer to trust us in being able to deliver critical infrastructure that if it's down, the business is down from a cloud service. So what I'm using to explain to customer why they should be open to that notion is using Salesforce as an example the world's biggest CRM platform, and I'm telling a story that is probably true, but I made it up, that I imagine the first salespeople that Salesforce hired back in the early 2000s coming into a customer and saying, we have a great technology. You'll give us your customer list and we'll store it on our cloud. So obviously the initial reaction 20 plus years ago was you are very kind people, here's a glass of water and don't let the door hit you on the way out. But now it's obvious that there is no other place to put a CRM. It's going to be on someone else's cloud, most likely Salesforce, but not only. No one today builds an on-premise CRM. We're now at that stage, or a bit past it, of seeding the notion with buyers that network and security can be taken up to the cloud and delivered as a service. So I use those stories. I speak with customers and I speak with partners and even with our own salespeople, because part of the responsibility of product marketeers is to train sales. And we give them those examples and we make the analogies like the smartphone and like Netflix and Blockbuster and like Salesforce in the early years, because it helps We're people and we're driven by emotions more than we do than with logic, even though we want to believe that logic drives us. But the emotional attachment, the story, the sense, the colors is what stays with us in the memory. So I'm a big fan of using metaphors and analogies as much as I can, as long as they don't defocus the conversation.
1: Yeah, hey, I mean, I made it much clearer for me, so I totally agree. My next question is, do you think the product marketer should cause obviously you're taking the product and you're working out how to communicate that to the market. Do you also think that the product marketer should have a role in taking information back from the market and giving it to the product team to maybe change what is being built? The
0: short answer is 100% yes. I think that everybody who has direct interaction with the market, with the customers and the partners should feed information back to the product team. At various stages of a company and the company culture, at some point, the product team will engage directly with customers and partners and build a design partner forums or advisory boards and they can be fed by them directly. They would usually feed in information that would help make more tactical decision. We need this feature or that feature or make that feature behave slightly differently. I think that well, product marketing can be of great value is looking at the macro view of the target market and say, this is a trend that we are seeing. This is a message that we don't use, but we see competitors use and resonates well. We see, for example, that while we're speaking with a certain Executive in the company, too often the decision is with another executive. So now we need to understand how to market into that other individual. For example, in our case, it can be the person who's responsible for the network or the person responsible for security. They expect to see different things in the product. Even if we have all the capabilities, we need to bring some of the capabilities forward or demonstrate them before. So there's always feedback that should come in. I tried today, myself and my team were more focused on the macro vision and less on the micro. But sometimes we meet customers and we'll get tangible feedback on specific features. And of course, we'll go in and
1: convey it back to the product organization. What are the assets that you guys are creating from the story at the moment? Obviously, we have a sales pitch, but what else do we have?
0: So even before we do the sales pitch, there is something that I inherited here in Cato which I think every product marketer should do if it's a group or an individual PMM in a small company. And that is to build a kind of a core brief document. Core brief document goes through the ideal customer profile, the ICP, the problems we're coming to solve, the use cases, how we solve them, how we are different boilerplates like the elevator pitch and stuff like that, all in one document. And this document is our kind of cornerstone. So everything is built from that document. And every time there is a change in the position, in the advancement of the product, expanding into new use cases and capabilities, we always update this document first and everything is inherited from that document. Once you have that document, it makes it much easier that whatever asset you create, we all speak in the same tone and speak to the same use cases and maintain focus. We can create hundred different assets from that, but we'll all start from the same point and same messages. So once you have this core brief, the next step, the next item would be the sales pitch, like we said, and we can maybe elaborate later if we'll have time about what we did in the sales pitch at Cato, because it started with 10 slides and it's now a 200 slides presentation, but we don't always use it, but we've been original in how we solve that as well. I think we create white papers, we do webinars, we create ebooks, digital campaigns together with corporate marketing, and we do a lot of public speaking engagement, conferences, partner events. They all tell the same story from different angles. There are some pillar slides that would always exist in all those pillar slides or diagrams that will always exist, that would always represent our solution in the company in one shape or form. But every time you'll see any asset coming from Cato, you'll put two or three assets aside, one next to the other, you'll see the similarities and they're broadcasting on the same frequency. Another thing that we're now trying to do in the last years is scaling up the machine. So creating content takes a lot of time, especially if you want it to be high quality content. So you can compromise on quality, but I believe that if the quality doesn't bring value to the audience, if they don't learn something apart from your product, but they don't learn something additional to that, they would not come to consume additional content. So you hit once and they're gone. So it has to bring value, which means we need to invest in the content creation. So what we are doing now is that we always try to start with either a webinar or a white paper. Mm And then from that we can create a subversion that is an ebook, another subversion that is a blog, sometimes a campaign. Sometimes we can extract a product demo from the webinar and do it as well. Write a blog about the product demo. So we try like recycle and repurpose the content to additional form factors, so we can scale up the entire content creation operation.
1: What are the metrics that you guys track to see that the investment in this function is paying off?
0: So when it's pure content, webinar white papers, ebooks, we track touch points with the customers if they clicks, open rates, downloads, opportunity created, POC request, everything that builds the funnel and helps us prioritize the leads inside the funnel. This is more a corporate marketing work. We're supporting by feeding the content to their machine, and then they do all the digital campaigns, the automation and the analysis. There is a bigger question of how you measure product marketeers in the company. What are the KPIs? And every time I'm being asked that, I have a different answer. (laughs) I can share some of the answers that I used so far. One would be in the process of creating content, the quality of the content in the creation process. Nothing comes 100% baked from the get go. There's always one or two review cycles and improvement but it needs to be one or two review cycles. If we're getting to the four, five, six review cycles, there is an issue either in the process or the content creator or the reviewer. So that's one KPI that I'm very close on because you can easily lose track of time, miss deadlines if you're unable to complete the task. That's one item. The second item is actually not around content creation, but around sales support and how product marketeers fail or succeed to establish themselves as smes in the regions and what i do for that is that i defined here at Cato for myself something that i call a professional popularity kpi and that means that members of my team that operating globally need to meet two kpis after they start working in their respective region i have pmms for north america europe and the apjs in their respective region they need the entire sales force in that region to know their first and last name. <laughs> if everybody knows who they are by their full name, it means that they created value and made an impact to a degree that they are memorable. On a global scale, I want everybody to know them by their first name. If they don't achieve that, the first one within six months and the global one within a year, I did something wrong in onboarding them
1: or hiring them or coaching them. And so do you test that by surveying the salespeople by saying, who is your PMM?
0: I don't need to survey that because if I won't get positive feedback about their value, I'll notice even before that, that something is off. But, you know, everybody's using Slack today. So you can see who is contributing and who they're interacting with. And I can see how much sales support requests are reaching me or being already addressed directly to the regional PMMs. And if I get almost zero sales support requests coming back to me to HQ,
1: then the regional teams are doing a great job. Makes sense. I would love to dig into the point you were mentioning about the nuance with the sales pitch that you guys defined.
0: So again, it's a derivative of selling a platform solution that converges many capabilities into it. So we need to pitch the solution to show a deep enough level of details to build the confidence that it's a viable solution and it's mature and it's fit, but we can't go down the rabbit hole all the way because we'll never finish the sales pitch. And because we know there'll be a lot of questions, because the technology is disruptive and different from what customers are used to see, we need to leave enough time for a conversation at the sales meeting. So sales, a first intro sales call is usually about 45 minutes to an hour we built a short sales pitch that is up to 15 minutes. In those 15 minutes, we go through a short discovery of the customer environment and the customer pain, explaining, agreeing on the problem as a whole, agreeing on the blueprint solution, describing our solution, how it is different. And then that can be concluded in 15 minutes. It's a scripted presentation that all our new hire sales go through a training session of practicing it and presenting it until they are vetted to start actually pitching to customers. At the end of these 15 minutes, which is what we call the front end, the presentation stops at a menu slide. And that menu offers the opportunity to zoom in into different capabilities. Today, I think there are like 15 options there. The title is, what would you like to speak about next? And then they can have a conversation with the customer You're interested more in the security capabilities. You want to hear about the network. You want to hear about our cloud architecture, managed services, whatever. Every time the customer says, let's speak about that, they click, they go into a dedicated module that can be between five to 10 slides. They can go through it. At the end of it, it jumps back automatically to the menu slide. So they can have this a la carte conversation based on specific customer areas of focus or interest. So they come with the pitch, the pitch sells the solution, but if they need to show more level of details, it's handy there. So the entire file is now a little over 200 slides, but the front end is 12 or
1: 13 slides, if I remember correctly. How do you think product marketing changes, if at all, over the next one to two years?
0: I don't know what to say about the next one or two years. I think it's probably going to be a continuation of establishing the role of that position within businesses. I think that for many years, this was almost an absent practice or one that was had very low investment and focus on. And I think that as more and more enterprises are giving product marketing the weight that it deserves in the business and in the sales and marketing organization, then more people learn the profession and they can pay that knowledge forward and more companies understand the value and build bigger teams. And it's becoming, you know, a new profession that now every company understands that they need to have. There's a question of when and how many, but it's a necessity. Think about DevOps 20 years ago. Initially, no one thought it's needed. Then the wave started to roll and now there are big groups in every company. So I think this is what we are in right now, coming from product management. Before that, I've seen that happen in my previous career. I've been in an era where I would say that I'm a product manager and no one could really understand what it means. And I would be a single product manager with a team of 40 engineers, which is not proportional or even greater. And now there is understanding about the importance and the value and the significance and the criticality of product management. I can tell you that today at Cato, I think the product management team is three times the size of my team. So their value and, and weight in the organization is exactly where it should be. And overall, there's also a great appreciation, specifically at Cato, but it's see it in other companies as well, to product marketing. So moving forward, it's it's going to continue to mature, and then we'll figure out what is the next profession that everybody's going
1: to discover that they need. I mean, I was going to say, what do we think is next for ER? Because if we carry on the trend line from software engineer through product marketing, next is going to be like content or design, right? I like to write and build content, but
0: design would never be my profession because that would take the entire industry 20 years backwards. (laughs) Everything I try and do creative looks like it came from the 80s, and we don't want that. What would be my next one? That's a big question. I didn't plan to end up in product marketing. I was aiming for a career in product management, and I always had this kind of... I was drawn to more of the outbound activities, more customer interaction, more channel, more... More with the field than with engineering, even though I always like to have both. And then the opportunity presented itself to me here at Cato. I gladly took it and I'm happy that I did. Like we
1: said, I'm now on the light side, but I don't know. I have no idea what's next. Still time to see. Let's hope we stay on the light side. Eyal, thank you so much for coming and educating us about product marketing. We'll link to your LinkedIn profile. We'll obviously link to Cato Networks below. Is there anything else we should link to or mention? No, these are great links. Amazing. Er, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. All right, what do we think of that? Hopefully, we illuminated the world of product marketing for you. I didn't know much about it now, but now I have a much better understanding. So, shout out to Er for coming on. Also, a big shout out to Ben Brown, MD of Session Media Performance, B two B marketing agency. You left this review on Apple Podcast. Tom does a great job of getting some of the most relevant B two B marketing voices on the podcast. It's definitely a great way to keep up with what's going on in the industry ben thank you so much if you have any feedback about the show please go to apple podcast leave a rating and review ping me a screenshot just let me know you've done it and then i'll get you and your business a shout out in a future episode finally big shout out to fave for producing this if you want a show that helps generate fame for your b2b business go to fave.so request a proposal let them know that you came from the podcast and of course finally thanks to you for listening